Oh, pee, please, Bob. Another pee, please, Bob. Another pee, please, Bob. You're not. Give me a pee. What end is referred to in the expression, hit him on the boco? <laughs> yes, Simon. Knob. Well, I've always uh, tried to keep the good habits that I got into uh, in regards to um, uh, uh, when I was uh, Environment Minister before. Happiness is a cigar called Hamlet. The mild cigar. salutation was poured in, including from Evelyn Lay, a pork sausage, to which he is very partial, for every year of his life. The master, as he is affectionately and reverently known by all in show business, re oh, don't know why I'm tired, I haven't done anything. Hello there, my horror stories, it's Chappie. Your ominous, voluminous, dearest butler. On the eve of Halloween. And I just want to start off the show with a very quick story from yesterday evening. It was dusk. The autumnal mist was rolling in. And I decided to go on a little jaunt with my two hounds. And I took them into the wood. And the mist started to clear on a dull October night. And in the distance I saw from a single branch swinging. Back and forth, back and forth. The wind got up slightly, the tree was rustling, some golden leaves cascading down. And I was squinting my eyes through the mist, and I saw the rope hanging from this limb. It was a still night, but the wind gradually was increasing and the rope was taking control by the wind, back and forth, back and forth. As I got closer, I thought I saw some sort of figure, dare I say, apparition hanging from the rope I 
I approached the single limb. My eyes adjusted to the misty dankness. There was nothing there. But that time I thought it was perfect to have a picnic. The only thing I had in my pocket was a creamy coconut Noosa yogurt. I sat down cross-legged underneath the tree and enjoyed the creamy delight of the delicious yogurt and all those probiotics solving the dicky tummy. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of a Halloween digestive horror story. Don't go too far into the woods without your probiotics is the key to the tale. Noosa yogurt, absolutely delicious. A sort of creamy top. I mean, it reminds me back in the day of the uh, thick and creamy. You could get these, they're called thick and creamy yogurts. And they were very thick and very creamy. Absolutely delicious from like the 80s or 90s. And it's a little bit like this. I mean, the, the noose is probably a little bit more natural, not as synthetic as the... I mean, I don't think there are real peaches or real nectarines in there. I think those uh, nectarines and peaches uh, of the thick and creamy were probably created in some sort of lab somewhere, maybe in Wuhan, who knows? <laughs> were people creating yogurts and a coronavirus at the same time? Possibly. Possibly. Allegedly. Who knows? But yeah, there we go. I mean... When you have a picnic, do not forget your humble or garden yogurt. Delicious, you know, delicious sort of uh, treat to keep you going on a misty, spooky walk that I had yesterday evening. It's marvellous to be here again in situ. I'm right at the top of the uh, top of the tower here. I'm in the, in the crow's nest. Uh, this is where I do, as I mentioned before, all my astronomy. I, I can see Ursa Minor and Ursa Major from this window. And uh, I really should tell Ursa Major and Ursa Minor to put some clothes on. I mean, in the moonlight, especially a full moon, you can see absolutely everything. I'm just a little, a little bit croaky today. I, I think I had uh, one too many slices of vegan banana bread. And, I, and it's, I think it's got into the throat here. Uh, I, I don't know. Does vegan banana bread have any bananas, though? I, that, that's the question I have. There's definitely some uh, molasses in there. I think as I, in, my, um, in my formative years, well, these are probably not my formative years. Are these my latter years? Are these my midlife crisis? Probably my midlife crisis. So during my midlife crisis, I do like a little bit of molasses. The taste of that slightly charred brown sugar flavor is rather marvelous i found it really is a beautiful day here in colorado for your sun sunday sermon edition of the podcast i can see clearly to the mountains the snow-tipped mountains in the distance i can see rather wonderful but i had the sort of reminds me of uh when you get that sort of, a, it was almost like a white chocolate dipped uh, snow peaks here. 
It reminds me of that uh, wondrous chocolate syrup you can have. Uh, this is back again in the 1980s. God, I'm really reminiscing today, aren't I? You had this, and the top of it looked like it was uh, an apparition, a ghostly-like uh, top or lid to this chocolate sauce. And um, I, I used to, I know it's simple pleasures. We didn't have iPhones back in the day. We didn't have computer gaming systems. I played with lids off chocolate uh, syrup. Um, uh, absolutely marvelous. And I pretended they were ghosties. Yeah, I played with the lids. You had the you know dark brown ones, lighter brown, caramel color, uh, white chocolate. You had all of them. And they were my ghosties. And it was hours, hours, hours of fun. But what happened, the chocolate syrup, if you put it on, um, if you put it on ice cream, it hardened. So you had like this chocolate coating, this delicious chocolate coating. And the chocolate was absolutely delicious. Um, I, I, I know the <laughs> child of the 80s, very impressed with a chocolate syrup that can harden over ice cream. Well, I tell you, that was that was invention for you. That's pushing back the boundaries of uh, culinary delights and technology. Syrup that hardens on ice cream. I think that's why the Gen X is a pretty, pretty chilled uh, group of people. Because we did not have very high expectations. And we could play with plastic ghosties off the top of syrup bottles. Yeah. Some of the things that we may or may not be talking about on this Halloween edition of the podcast. All of a sudden, everything happens on these walks. And some of my greatest ideas, some of my uh, best distresses in life come when I'm walking along. Just uh, meandering along, wide gate. A lot, you know, it's very, very good stress relief. Very good stress relief. But something's not quite so stressful. On a, on a merry morn the other day, what a mist around at the moment. In the distance, all of a sudden, uh, in a little copse, a creepy tent. Yeah, a blue creepy tent uh, lit by a lantern. Who knows what's in it? And it's been there the last couple of days. And uh, by gosh, by golly, I... Uh, I don't mind walking past it when I'm facing it, but I do not want my back to that creepy tent. Because who knows what's going to appear? What sort of beast, what sort of demon's going to appear from the creepy tent? And also, uh, there's uh, Mr. MacGyver who's running along with a stick. He's dressed look like he looks like one of the 1960s great train robbers. He has a black beanie on, black turtleneck, all black, and uh, he's carrying this stick. Now, I don't know if he's the uh, occupant of the creepy tent. He may possibly well be that. Um, but uh, these are the sort of things that happen. If you get up early in the morning, uh, you know, you see some interesting, interesting events going on. We never touched lectern porn. Liz Truss has had a very fancy lectern. But apparently prime ministers changed their lectern over the course of uh, over the years from different administration to different administration and that's exactly what happened so we're going to be talking lectern porn uh, uh, also along the way today on uh, on the show if you missed the podcast the other day 
we uh, we talked about uh, the cheese grater foot. There's there's this item that you can get, and it's almost like an electric cheese grater that you put on your feet, and it comes off, and it looks like Parmesan. I also did a breast detox. I put paste all over my pasties all over my uh, nipples the other day. Uh, we we hazarded a guess on uh, nuns and priests with uh, watching uh, naughty, dirty films. Yes, uh, they have. A, if you're a priest or a nun, they can get away with very, very baggy, loose-fitting cassocks. But what's going on under the cassock? We talked about that the other day. For all of you in the UK, I don't know in Europe, change their clocks. There's always a big hoo-ha about changing clocks, changing the time, pushing back, spring forward, isn't it, and fall back, autumn back, um, and. You know, it's that time of year. I don't like waking up and it's seven o'clock and it's still dark outside. And there's all these people saying, well, we need all the lights at the end of the day. No, you don't. I need to get up in the morning and don't do my thing. I need to work. I need light at the beginning of the day. And this time of year, the clocks need to go back. It's winter time. It's after dark. You you know, what are you going to do? It's still going to get dark at 6.30 in the middle of winter, even if you didn't change the clock. So... You know, you can't do anything. It's, it's, it, this is hot chocolate drinking season. This is where you're hunkering down around a fire and you're drinking hot chocolate. There's no fun, warm weather activities anymore. So get over it, people. Get over it, peeps. We never talked about Pete Davidson, the unlikely rom-com lead. Is he still dating Kim Kardashian? Now, this guy uh, looks has more in common with a Neanderthal. We're not just talking looks-wise. I mean, he... he, he, he he has all the charm of a Neanderthal. Maybe there were charming Neanderthals. Maybe there were the Nigel Havers, the Roger Moores of Neanderthals out there. But you sort of get the impression that they weren't particularly charming, were they? They weren't particularly charming. We'll be talking Americans traveling. Um, one of my uh, good friends is in London at the moment. He's traveling. It's an American in London. And we'll be talking about Americans traveling and some of the weird things that he's seen that has uh, sort of opened his mind and, uh, and made him think, well, there's a lot of eccentricity in merry old England. So a friend of mine is traveling in London. It's an American in London. Uh, and um, I should have sent him this article before he traveled. But we'll be getting on to some of the eccentric things that he's seen in London that um, he said it just can't get over. So a little, a little bit of advice for anybody traveling. I know a lot of people are traveling out to the UK at the moment because you can uh, the, the pound is basically monopoly money at the moment there's, there's no worth to the pound so you go along with your dollar and you can eat for a week probably in one dollar in, in the UK at the moment but this is uh, the experience of Americans traveling so the experience of COVID lockdowns and border closures over the past years has given many Americans a newfound appreciation for the privilege of international travel uh, the tourism industry saw a huge rebound in the summer of revenge travel to far-off places. Unfortunately, Americans don't have the best reputation as tourists abroad, the ugly American stereotype. It's imperative to avoid an egocentric view of the world whilst traveling. You should always mind your manners abroad because etiquette can be differ from one country to the next. Through the uh, intricacies and nuances of every culture may feel intimidating. There are some fundamental etiquette principles that can guide each trip. An easy way to approach etiquette abroad is to think what not to do. With this in mind, 
There's etiquette experts and travel professionals share some common rude behaviours they've observed from tourists in foreign countries, lending the advice to avoid the faux pas. First of all, assuming everybody will speak English, do not presume that everybody you encounter will speak English. Know a few phrases in the local language. Do not speak louder, hoping that our other person will suddenly understand you. Yes, do you have Yorkshire puddings? Yorkshire puddings? Here, at this restaurant, this establishment. Yeah. Uh, HP brown sauce. Do you have brown brown sauce? Yeah. Whether you're in a restaurant shop, saying thank you and please in the local language can go a long way. Also, using Google Translator, but be careful what you're typing in. Not doing your research. You'll have a better time if you know what to expect, so best to brush up on the local etiquette rules before you set sail. These etiquette rules are definitely not secret and there's virtually no corner of the globe that hasn't been covered online somewhere. Just look it up. Being loud and rowdy. One of the things we see a lot, especially living in Europe, is US citizens speaking loudly on the phone and the whole restaurant. Use your little headphones. You don't need to speak on speakerphone. That, that, or, or put it next to your ear. That's what it's for. Not everybody wants to hear your conversation. Avoid adding to negative stereotypes about Americans by taking phone calls outside and be mindful of your volume, especially while you're speaking English. Try to avoid making noise in other ways like slamming car doors or stomping around. Practice vocal level control. Also urged against drinking too much alcohol in a foreign country. This isn't about turning into the proverbial ugly American, but also about the increased risk of turning into another foreign victim in petty crime. Here's one from the other day. I talk about the British. Ignore local tipping culture. Knowing what tipping varies greatly around the world. Some countries thrive on tips while others find a tip quite insulting. If you don't know about the tipping protocols in another country, do your research and ask a trusted source. Under most circumstances, it would be considered rude to pay for a meal without leaving a supplemental tip in the US. In some countries, a, a tip is only left for exceptional service. It can be a token amount perhaps one or two dollars in the local currency. In other places, leaving a tip may be perceived as offensive. Also, forgetting that you're a visitor. Perhaps the best way to show you're a respectful traveler is by having the mindset that you're a visitor in a foreign land. Failing to adhere to facial and social norms. Cultural differences also manifest in faces and spaces. So do your best to understand the norms around you like eye contact and personal bubbles. Some countries have smiles at the ready while others only smile with their nearest and dearest. Eye contact is also culturally specific. The more egalitarian cultures tend to have more eye contact, the more rigid cultures tend to have less eye contact. In Athens, uh, you learn that Greeks typically do not nod or shake their hands to communicate the same way Americans are accustomed to. In Greece, this gesture can be considered impolite. Do indicate no Greeks tilt their head backwards once, nodding their head forward to signal yes. If you find yourselves uncertain, using the local language to communicate yes or no can help avoid any confusion or sending the wrong messages. Many cooler climates tend to have larger body space bubbles, where warmer climates tend to have smaller body space bubbles. Standing in line is culturally specific. Pay attention to how others act in the queue before taking place. Dressing disrespectfully. Travelers need to make sure they wear something appropriate for the religious sites. 
We all want to look our best on vacation, but sometimes revealing too much might not be welcomed in a religious place of worship. Behaving improperly at sacred sites, in addition to dressing respectfully while uh, visiting religious sites, you want to show your reverence in your behavior as well. Bargaining incorrectly because you're in a foreign country may exhibit rude behaviors or faux pas without even knowledge. Bargaining can be disrespectful if you're in a place where bargaining is not acceptable. So even in places where bargaining is acceptable, you can still anger the locals by bargaining incorrectly. If the vendor tells you a price and you respond by lowballing him, he may be insulted. Also, knowing what to do, whether you shake your hand, bow, offer them a hug, or walk together holding hands, can help to avoid an awkward situation for both parties by knowing what the other person and other foreign culture expects. So a friend of mine is currently in London. So he's the American in London at the moment. And we've been texting. I've been giving some advice. I think he's been over to Windsor Castle. I think he's been uh, Shoreditch, a sort of Vietnamese mile there. He's been over there. Uh, he's also been Brick Lane, Curry Houses. Uh, loved, loved Windsor, though. Uh, loved Westminster Abbey. Wanted to go into the House of Commons. But these are some of the observations of an American who's never been to London before, an American in London. And he said, British people all seem to have small dogs. Literally, I've seen maybe one medium-sized dogs. It's like your people are reverse compensating for having such a huge empire at some point. Well, thanks very much indeed. Um, he said, and I said to him, us Brits are confident in our appendage size. No big dogs or big trucks required. Then, uh, I mean, he wanted to buy himself a ceremonial wig because he thinks that British people walk along with Georgian white wigs. Like, we always look like George III. I think that I think people see um, the British as wearing white Georgian wigs and being ruddy-faced alcoholics. I mean, that's, that's one of the commonplaces, and then obviously the teeth as well. So he wants to find a ceremonial wig somewhere, and he asked if Westminster Abbey would be the place where you could shout, order, order, while wearing wigs whilst yelling. Well, that's John Burko, and I don't think Burko ever wore a wig. But can they? Buy, can he buy souvenir wigs as well? I think he wants to buy a souvenir white powdered wig. I don't know where you can get them from. If you've got the wig, you also need the gavel as well. You need the auctioneer's hammer to punctuate everything you're saying if you do have the, uh, the white wig. So another thing, and I said to him, I'm fascinated by all the British eccentricities you pick up on whilst you're in London. Well, using whilst as well. I love using whilst, but people don't use whilst in America very often. So he said, right now I'm focused on making sure I look the correct way down the street before crossing. I'm a herald, terrible and horrible pedestrian at the moment. He also was wondering if his accent could be useful in terms of flirting with the locals. I said, well, any exotic accent may well help you. He also wanted to know if there's a cultural question that they'll appreciate his knowledge of. Uh, also something that would backfire potentially. I said, ask you know, any of the eligible ladies out there, do they prefer black or white pudding? Um, you have to be a little bit careful because some of them could be, uh, could be vegans. Um, you know, and the difference between, I had to explain the difference between uh, white and black pudding. I told him he, you know, he cannot get confused with, with spotted dick. You know, you don't want to go around, you know, parading the whole spotted dick. The, the, that's the current studded steam cake flavor of beef suet. 
But also a well-known Irish dish is the white pudding, grain-based sausage flavoured with plenty of fat and stuffed into sausage casing. But there's no blood. Whereas on the other hand, the, uh, the black pudding is traditional blood sausage. As with white pudding, black pudding was uh, a way for butchers to make a new product from meat, offal, offal, scraps and blood instead of throwing them out. Black pudding is made by mixing pig or cow blood with pork or beef suet and grain and then stuffing them into the casing. This is the essential black or white pudding knowledge that one, you know, an American needs to know whilst in London. While the birthday salutation was poured in, including from Evelyn Lay a pork sausage, to which he is very partial, for every year of his life, the master, as he is affectionately and reverently known by all in show business, relaxed in his suite. Then he said he had to bone up on the local delicacies and customs. Probably shouldn't use the term bone up, I think. Also, he came across a store that just sells umbrellas. He never saw this type of store in the, U- U- in the U.S., it looked quite fancy. And I said to him, one of the worst things you can do, you need to pronounce the station names, the, you know, the tube stations and all the different areas of London correctly. But he said, I like how for place names, the British just cut out one or two letters from the middle of the word when pronouncing it like Gloucester. Well, well how are you going to pronounce it? Gloucester? And please, it's Clapham, not Clams. And the worst of all, it's Leicester, not Leicester. One of his favourite things, though, that he saw was a sign that he took a picture of, and it says, ever wiped your bum with a sponge on a stick? You'd never get this in America. So one of the most Halloween-y things that I saw during the week, if you're getting down into the earth, if you're putting your hands into the earth and letting the earth gradually seep through your fingers... There was a gentleman who made mushroom music. He attached these probes to mushrooms and the changes in bioelectricity in the mushroom are converted to denote changes in the synth. So this, ladies and gentlemen, uh, these are probes and these are mushrooms. These are fungi making music, showing their musical feelings. Mushrooms making music. If you want something rather baroque and a little bit spooky this Halloween, then you need to get yourself a lectern. So in an attempt to break with Liz Truss's tumultuous reign, Rishi Sunak abandoned a higgledy-piggledy lectern for his first speech as Prime Minister, instead opting for a simple design. Luss's lectern, which featured a twisted design made out of wooden blocks, uh, prompted intriguing compared to a Jenga tower. Well, somebody in uh, Liz Truss's administration must have pushed out the middle block fairly early on and the whole house of cards came tumbling down. In a departure of the Tory tradition, Sunak was unable to make his own personalised lectern for his first speech as Prime Minister. There was no time for him to design one during a condensed leadership contest. Sunak's lectern was a straight version of Truss's lectern made of varnished light-coloured wood and at first glance appears slightly smaller than his predecessors. 
Conservative campaign headquarters usually orders two personalised lecterns and loans one to Downing Street. Each, each lectern takes about three weeks to build and costs between £2,000 and £4,000, depending on the size and design. The wood is placed around the metal core, which prevents the lectern from being blown over. I mean, that would be absolutely embarrassing if your lectern came tumbling down during an important speech. The lectern was placed in government and uh, CCHQ archives when a Tory Prime Minister leaves office. The Times understands that previous lecterns have been repurposed for further use across government buildings. Truss's modern design was a far cry from lecterns chosen by previous Prime Ministers. Boris Johnson departed from previous designs by becoming the first Prime Minister to opt for a two-tiered base for his lectern, a dark brown shade of wood. Theresa May's lectern had a simple, narrow design, came in a varnished light-coloured wood, while Davis Cameron opted for a large, curved design. Uh, chillaxing Dave. Uh, Cameron's lectern was the first entirely to be made with wood to be used by British Prime Minister. The lecterns of choice by the UK's past five Tory Prime Ministers stand in contrast to the floating shelf design used by Tony Blair and Gordon Brown, which featured a metal spine and placed on four caster wheels. Government lecterns used by ministers are routinely updated and used regularly by ministers for press conference and speeches. As I mentioned at the top of the show, everybody's up in arms about changing, pushing the clock times back. This is the best thing on Twitter, though. Whilst we get an extra hours of sleep on Sunday, spare a thought for the National Trust, who work tirelessly through the night to move the stones back one hour various stone circles around the countryside. This is done twice a year to make sure the stones align correctly with the sun. And a lubricant containing an ingredient derived from cow mucus could protect against sexually acquired infections, including HIV and herpes, scientists have said. The experimental cow gel contains mucin, a main component of mucus in the human body. Mucin molecules form a nasal barrier that traps virus particles. So do you put this on your snout or is it slipped onto the parson's nose, so to speak? So it's a main component of mucus in the human body. Mucin molecules form a nasal barrier. These bugs can be cleared in an active mucus turnover. Well, I'm never going to be able to eat an apple turnover anymore because I'm going to be thinking of this mucus turnover that you sort of slap around the old boy. And, you know, that's a whole problem back in the 90s with teenage boys sticking their into an apple pie or an apple turnover. I mean, I don't know what's better, you know, the... I don't know if the flaky pastry next to the skin would be very good, though. The gel that uses mucin from the slavery glands of cattle is designed to mimic the process. Its inventors said to be produced as a byproduct of the meat industry. It could offer protection when condom protection is not available or an option as a backup. So the scientists use human uh, cells form a covering of all body surfaces grown in petri dishes to test the gel. Some cells were treated with the substance while others were not served as controls. The cells were exposed to either HIV or herpes simplex. After two days, 80% of the cells treated with the gel exposed to HIV were protected from the virus. So, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, this is the contraception in your cell. I mean, you, you know, you sort of go into the uh, boudoir 
What's that weird looking substance on your... Oh, don't worry, darling. It's just cow mucus. I mean, you could go from uh, being a uh, rather in the mood to uh, giving the cold shoulder pretty quickly, couldn't you? <laughs> don't worry about me. That's bovine mucus. Yeah, mad cow. Yeah, you don't want any of that going on, do you? But here's the thing. So if cow mucus works as some sort of uh, protection expectorant or whatever you want to call him, how about, um, you know, take your common or garden pork pie and you take out the gelatin out of a pork pie. Nobody eats the gelatin anymore because I, I just want the, uh, the flaky pastry in the meat, so to speak, as the vicar said to the congregation. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want the gelatin. So take the gelatin out of the pork pie and, um, you know, just mold that gelatin into a nice sort of, uh, into a nice shape and uh, coat that all over below the belt. And you've got yourself a, uh, a bit of protection. So forget the cow mucus, just use uh, pork pie jelly. And a science sleuth based in Glasgow may have helped solve a century long mystery surrounding the discovery of the Martian meteorite, thanks to a toxin which makes pig vomit. The Lafayette meteorite was found in the drawer of an American University Biology Department in 1929 at Purdue University, but nobody knew where it came from. One theory suggests it was denoted to them by a student who witnessed it uh, land in a pond whilst fishing. Ian O'Brien, doctor and environmental and planetary organic geochemist from the University of Glasgow, began her detective work two years ago and has now shed some light on the student uh, what it might have been that the student had it in. Her work began when her team was given a small fraction of the meteorite by the National History Museum in London. It's a meteorite from Mars and they're very rare. That alone makes it very precious and not all these meteorites from Mars are as in pristine condition as the one in Lafayette. It must have been picked up pretty soon after it fell otherwise the outer edge would have weathered away. Its pristine condition makes it perfect for researching. Dr. O'Brien crushed up the tiny piece of Mars and used a sophisticated mass spectrometry to find out what it was made of. The point of the experiment was to look for preserved organic molecules, evidence that could help her learn about the possibility of life on Mars. It was late 2020, had nothing better to do. Most of these things are long, boring chemistry data type names, but one was called uh, Vermoxicin, which sounded pretty cool, so started looking at it. She discovered that it was also found in fungus with contaminants such as crop, grain, wheat and oats. It causes sickness in humans and animals when ingested, with pigs, pigs being particularly affected. Dr. O'Brien mentioned the uh, vomitoxin to her supervisor, who told her that the origins of the Lafayette discovery were unknown and suggested that the fungus might affect crops in Indiana. They started and turned up a whole rabbit hole. It was a massive thing over there. Their records show that, that uh, it caused a, a marked drop in crop yield when the meteorite hit in uh, 1919 and a less pronounced drop in 1927. The highest prevalence of the fungus in the 20 years before 1931 was identified as the meteorite. Her team suggested the dust from the affected crops may have carried uh, some sort of dion to surrounding waterways and Lafayette may have contaminated it. Analysis of the fireball sightings were also used to determine the landing of the meteorites. They heat up as they disembrowed the Earth's atmosphere, causing a bright streak of light. 
There were reported fireball sightings across southern Michigan and northern Indiana in 1919 and again in 1927. Meteorite caused destruction of the uh, crops and also illness amongst the animals, uh, especially pigs. So it's not a load of old hogwash. The wife was less horrified after discovering her husband had a picture of her snoring face tattooed on his thigh. James McGraw, a window cleaner from Portsmouth, admitted he'd got the unflattering inkling as a payback after his partner, Kelly 37, gave him a dodgy haircut. The couple regularly played pranks on each other, but Kelly said James crossed the line with his most recent stunt. Father of five, James shared a picture of the tattoo based on the photograph he took of Kelly sleeping with her mouth open, uh, what appears to be on a plane. He captioned, don't know what her problem is, everybody else seems to like it. One person clearly sympathised with Kelly, I would kill you, anybody know if James is still alive? Kelly has warned James to watch his back and revealed she was fuming about the fact he added more chins to the image of her asleep. Thank you for listening to the podcast today, it's been uh, lovely to have you here. And uh, it's a beautiful day, a beautiful autumnal day on Halloween Eve here in Colorado. And I hope you have a marvellous weekend as well. But if you like the podcast, like and subscribe across different platforms. Uh, We have Apple Podcasts, Spotify as an audio version, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Slacker Breaker. You can listen on Audible, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, almost everywhere. Um, You can almost, if you pull back your double chin as well, similar to Kelly in that that last story, if you do have a double chin and you separate the double chin uh, from all your other chins, you can hear Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese emanating in perfect chin music. Uh, If you like music, though, on that subject, we do have a Butler Emporium playlist, which is uh, beautiful music scattered amongst my nonsense. If you think about uh, leaves all over the floor this autumn, uh, yeah, my nonsense is are the leaves. Music is a symphony of the leaves falling gently, floating down onto the earth. Coming up next, though, we do have a poem. Magic, mystic imagination. On one mystic magic night, jack-o'-lanterns glowing bright, kids with bags of candy sweet, Roam door to door, street to street, all dressed up for trick-or-treat. Wizards with wands, pirates with hooks, monsters and clowns with spooky looks. Kings and queens with capes and crowns, a princess in her royal gown. Witches with warts and fairies with wings, movie stars with sparkling rings. Vampires with fangs that bite, ghosts that go boo, all dressed in white. Imaginations taken flight on one mystic magic night. Oh, the fun of Halloween, be young or old or in between. I will be back next weekend for another dastardly duo of podcasts. But until next time, have a lovely, happy and horrific Halloween. Cheerio. Have a pee, please, Bob. Have a pee, please, Bob. Have a pee, Pee, please, Bob. Another pee, please, Bob. You're not. Give me a pee. Pee. What end is referred to in the expression, hit him on the boco? Yes, Simon. Nob. Well, I've always uh, tried to keep the good habits that I got into uh, in regards to um, uh, uh, when I was uh, Environment Minister before. Happiness is a cigar called Hamlet. The mild cigar. Ooh-ah, ooh-ah, come one, 
come all each lass and her mate. Salutations poured in, including from Evelyn Lay, a pork sausage to which he is very partial for every year of his life. The master, as he is affectionately and reverently known by all in show business, re oh, don't know why I'm tired, I haven't done anything. <laughs>